Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen. This is episode 23, The End Times Revelation Part 3. Last time we covered the throne room of God in chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation and the timeline of the end times. So the timeline is this. Uh, We have the first half of a seven-year tribulation period called Daniel's 70th week. It is the rise of the Antichrist to power. Then we have the midpoint of this seven-year tribulation period, which is marked by the desecration of the rebuilt temple of the Jews. Then we have the second half of that seven-year tribulation, where we have the vials of the wrath of God and the battle of Armageddon and uh, the seventh trumpet. And then we have the thousand-year reign of Christ. Satan is loosed for a season. We don't know how long that will be. Another battle, the battle of Gog and Magog, and then the great white throne judgment and a new heaven and new earth and eternity with Christ. Now we're on chapter six. And chapter six begins with the six seals out of the seven that we read about last time when he was in the throne room. To understand these, we need to understand that the Bible, the book of Revelation, needs to be read literally. Context matters. What that means is John was literally there in heaven and saw these things. What I personally believe is that God allowed him to see actual events of the future and then had him write down some of them to be revealed to us. If you look at Revelation chapter 4, when he starts this particular uh, revelation to us, he says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. So he is actually seeing into heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So John is saying he looked into heaven and someone spoke to him and said, come up. And then immediately he was there in the spirit. So he's not saying his physical body was taken into heaven, but his spirit was taken into heaven. So I believe that John says exactly what happened. He did not lie to us. He was not smoking weed or some other drug and and was just out of his head and coming up with this stuff. God is actually took his spirit up to heaven and showed him these things. So it's not to be confused with the book of Daniel, where Daniel was given dreams and visions that needed an interpretation. If you look at Daniel 7, in verse 1, it says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. And then down in verse 15 and 16, He continues, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. So he could not understand what he had seen. Verse 16, I came near unto one of them that stood by, one of the angels, and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. Some of the prophecies in the Old Testament were figurative. They were actually dreams, things that didn't make sense, not real events. And so he needed God or the angels to tell him what it was supposed to mean. This is not the case with the book of Revelation. 
John was actually there and saw these things happen. So that's a key difference. The other thing we need to keep in mind is the rules of grammar matter. John does not use any words that lead one to believe that it means something other than the actual words that he spoke. For instance, Jesus himself said in Matthew 13, 18, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. Now, if you look up the definition of the word parable, it's an actual earthly story that makes sense to us using common modern day terms that is fake, a made up story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus, when he spoke, clearly said, hey, this is figurative. It means something other than what I'm telling you about. So he talked about seeds and then he explains what he meant by it later that he meant it was the word of God, the gospel going out into the world. That's what the seeds were. And some of them grew and some didn't. Okay. So he's talking about a parable. That's a grammar tool that he used. If you look at revelation one, verse 14 and 15, John himself used a grammar tool where he didn't mean exactly what he said. He said his head and his hairs were white, like wool as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire and his feet like, un like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. So he's telling you, I do not see wool on this guy's head. I do not see snow on this guy's head, but it's like, or it's as that anybody know what grammar tool uses like, or as in the English language, it's called a simile. So there you have it. You can tell by the context of the verses up to and including and after the words that he uses, whether or not he's using a specific grammar tool. So we can see that chapter six is literal. He saw actual things and nowhere does it give us an interpretation as if it is something other than what he saw. So we have to take these literally. All right. Now you'll hear a lot of people come up with different things for them, that each thing is a symbol or an age or it represents a, a certain idea. And in my opinion, that is blasphemy. You are saying God didn't mean what he said. He told John to write down something that he did not intend to intentionally mislead you and make you have to come up with a meaning for it. That is not the way God works, but you will hear lots of people preach different things about what they think these mean. My interpretation is going to be literal. So I will tell you, he means what he says. All right, let's get into this. So the first seal is a revelation of a powerful leader. Revelation six, verse one and two. And I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw and beheld a, and behold a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, remember the lamb is Jesus Christ opening this book with the seals. These seals are judgments from God. Jesus Christ is releasing these judgments. Each of these horsemen give terrible things that happen on the earth. It would not make sense for this first one to be a good thing to be the gospel message or Jesus Christ, or Jesus would have said, this is me riding this white horse. 
So you have to be very cautious about comparing these things and making up things that do not fit the context. So this, in the context of judgment and in the context of the other three horses that are bringing terrible things down to the earth, it would make sense that the horse with a person sitting on it who is conquering is some powerful leader that is conquering the earth. That fits with what we know about the seven-year tribulation, how the first three and a half years is the rise of the Antichrist to power. And the book of Daniel, which we've covered, covered extensively, talking about how that happens and how the kingdom and the, the ten kingdoms work together and then the three kingdoms and the one that rises up above the others and so on. So this could very well be the Antichrist is the first seal, the first judgment. Now, it doesn't give an explanation, so I don't know, but we do know that this is a powerful leader that is conquering the nations. Frank Peretti did a very good book series, Piercing the Darkness, on what I believe is happening here is you have real world events happening like the rise of the Antichrist. And then you have behind the scenes in the spiritual realm, a demon or possibly an angel directly from God who is riding this horse, who is causing these things to happen. And I do believe that this horseman is actually a real entity, not just symbolizing the Antichrist. I think they both happen at the same time. Now, I did want to bring some quick clarification in regards to the bow, what he carries here. The word bow comes from the ancient Greek toxon in Koine Greek, and that comes from the root toxitai, which means archer. And that is from the ancient Greek or Byzantine archers that were armed with a bow and arrows and a short sword. That comes from a further word, which is hippotoxitai, which meant mounted archer. The history of this is some of these archers would dip their arrows in poison. And when you shorten it, instead of saying mounted archers that carry bows and arrows dipped in poison, they would just say the hippotoxitai. And then it has been shortened where they would just say toxon. And of course, you can, you can see how we got the word toxin, you know, poison from the etymology of this word. Now, the secondary definition of this is a cloth uh, or linen possibly a symbol of power like like a tribe or something like the Scottish kilt, the fly plaid, which is a shoulder piece to symbolize their tribe or uh, position or power and authority. Okay, There is another Greek word for fabric, which is diathrose. So I don't think it's referring to the fabric, but just so you know, it, it, it could be that. Uh, it's definitely not the word rainbow because that's in the Greek, that's the word iris, which is where we get the word iris. So there's a lot that could go into this. The point is we don't know, but we do know that there is conquering of the nations going on during this time and that God has sent out this horseman of the apocalypse, if you will, this first one that is behind the scenes causing these things to happen. All right, so that's the first seal. The second seal is wars. Revelation 6, verse 3 and 4. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. 
Now, these four horsemen of the apocalypse that you've heard, I'm sure, in movies and such, um, I believe that these could very well be angels sitting on the horses. It, it is very clear that it is a specific entity that is given certain freedoms to do things on this earth. You'll see here on uh, the next one that there is restrictions placed upon these creatures who are riding the horses. My opinion on what these are is really irrelevant, but I'll throw it out there because I'm the guy telling you this stuff. So I think it's a possibility that these four spiritual beings riding horses are given specific tasks or released to do certain things that cause death and destruction on the earth. I believe that this is Jesus Christ releasing or giving a short leash to some of the demons from hell. And you'll see why here when we get to the fourth one. Let's continue. So this is the second one, which is wars, a great sword to kill and take peace away from the earth, right? Then you have the third seal, which is famine, verse five and six. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. And I beheld and lo, a black horse and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. So a penny back then was about a day's wage. So what it sounds like here in regards to famine is that it's going to take a day's wage just to get you a handful of bread, basically something to eat, which means you're going to slave away for a whole day just to survive. And then it says, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. There's no explanation given here on why the oil and wine is not harmed. However, it seems to be that with this famine, the pair of balances, how much it costs for uh, wheat, for bread, for barley, that the most basic items are going to be expensive. So when it comes to this famine and, and preparation, like, like I've talked about in the past, what is going to be valuable in the end times? Whatever dollar the Antichrist uses. Remember, he's going to have the mark of the beast, right? So in order to buy wheat or bread or whatever it is you need to survive, if you don't have the mark of the beast, do you think the American dollar is going to be valuable when they only accept the mark of the beast to buy and sell things? No, I obviously it's not. They're not going to accept paper. I do believe, and this is something that I think everyone should actually invest in. I don't care if it's $5 or, or $5,000 a month whatever you can afford to set aside to save for the future, I think you should invest in things, assets, things that will be valuable when people are poor and in a famine economy. So silver, you know, one ounce silver coins, people who are rich, people who have excess bread to sell, I'm sure will take silver or gold. It's that has always been a commodity that people want to have and rich people love to flaunt their wealth and have gold things. Right. So I think silver and gold is something to invest in and potentially other assets that can help people, you know, whether it be planting your own crops to trade or, or raising goats or chickens to have eggs to trade 
or you know whatever field you're in, if you're good at something, trade your goods. Having the idea of this bartering economy when money is worthless because you're a believer in Jesus Christ and will not take the mark of the beast. So this third seal to me is a huge wake up call as far as preparing for the future. So make sure that you are doing something that you will have an asset to trade for food when there is famine in the land. The fourth seal is the death of a fourth of the earth. Verse seven and eight. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, come and see. And I looked and behold a pale horse. So the pale horse is not necessarily a sickly horse. It's actually the color. It's like a dun colored horse. His name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Now, if you look at the end of Revelation, it talks about how death and hell are cast in the lake of fire. So the name of this creature that sits on this fourth horse of the apocalypse, the pale horse, is death. I think that's an actual name of an angel. But notice that it says, and hell followed with him. I believe that these creatures riding the horses are demons that have no longer been restrained and they are allowed to do what they do best. And here's a scary thought too. The last part of that to kill not only with sword and hunger and with death, which I'm not sure that seems redundant to me, but, and with the beasts of the earth, I believe that the demons of hell will inhabit animals to wreak havoc across the earth to kill humans. I think we're going to see that animals will lose their fear of mankind. It's a scary thought, but it's something that is clearly foretold in the Bible. Now let's look at the fifth seal. This is a reference to what you find in chapter 20, verse 4. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true? Dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So the fifth seal is the martyrs of this seven-year period. It is them as they are being beheaded and killed, crying out to God, please avenge us for seven long years. Then we have the sixth seal, which is earthquakes and, and meteor strikes. This is found in verse 12 through 17. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. I think these would be like the bunkers and, and, and prepper things that people have done building castles and, and whatnot to protect themselves. And, and you can just Google it or look at YouTubes or, or even watch some of the, the cable shows about 
extreme prepping and things like that. And people have actually built homes into mountains and such. And I think these rich people will go there to hide. And I think that this is probably a revelation of what the earth is looking like during nuclear war. Uh, that's again, merely my opinion, but if you read that and look at it, the heavens departed as a scroll being rolled together. Every mountain and island is moved. The moon becomes blood. The sun is blackened. I mean, a lot of that really would fit with radioactive fallout, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's neither here nor there. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. It says the stars of heaven fall. Well, what do we call uh, meteor showers? Well, we, we say that they're shooting stars and things that could very well be what it looks like is all these meteors falling to the earth. And, and it, we could be literally caught inside of, you know, a passing comet or something. I don't know. Um, but it's very clear that something is striking the earth. There are, there is a great earthquake. There are physical things happening in this world to the sun and the moon, to the mountains and the islands. So, you know, having a house all by yourself on an island might not be the best thing in this time. The islands are moved out of their places. That's kind of scary. So I don't think there's going to be any place, safe place to be sitting here. But it says in verse 16 and 17, and they said to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand. This is the sixth seal. And you will see the, the great day of the wrath of the Lord, the wrath of the Lamb, the Son of Man, the, that the great tribulation is mentioned throughout the whole Bible. So this is very clearly, finally, the end times that was prophesied. Then we move into chapter 7, which is kind of an aside. It's like, hey, while all this stuff is happening, check this out. Verse 1. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. So angels have power over the elements. That's a very interesting thing, too. Verse 2, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nathalem were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. Now, this is very interesting, and a lot of people will find fault with this. There are 12 tribes listed, but Dan is not listed. How do we get 12 tribes if one of the tribes is missing? All right, so check it out. You may not have known this, but there were actually 13 tribes of Israel. Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, each got an equal portion of the tribes of Israel, Genesis chapter 48. So that brings the 12 nations, Joseph, if you count him, while Ephraim and Manasseh were in place of Joseph. 
So he became two tribes. Now you got 13. Okay. Manassas is listed here in Revelations, as is Joseph, which means that the tribe of Ephraim is being given the firstborn blessing, being called Joseph, the tribe of Joseph, even though Ephraim was not the firstborn. So if you read Genesis 40, 48, verse 17 through 19, and when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand to give him a blessing, Upon the hand of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim, Ephraim's head unto Manassas's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put your right hand upon his head, Manassas. And his father refused and said, I know. I know it, my son. I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. So Joseph was actually given a double blessing. His firstborn received the second blessing, and his secondborn was given the firstborn blessing. So that brings us to 13 tribes. All right. But then check this out. In the Old Testament, the tribe of Levi was not usually counted as they were the priests and they were given a portion from each of the other tribes. So if you look at Joshua chapter 13, he says when they're dividing the land, only unto the tribe of Levi, he gave none inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance. So now we're back down to 12 because Levi doesn't get anything. Okay. That's why you, you hear different names about the tribes of Israel, because there's actually 13, but Levi's not usually listed. Sometimes Joseph is listed, and sometimes his two sons are listed instead of him. So you'll see different names, and don't let that concern you. There's actually a reason for it. All right. And then you have the tribe of Dan not being listed here in Revelation, possibly due to their idolatry. So Dan's historical embrace of idolatry and immorality could very well have led them for, to a disqualification of this ceiling of the 12,000 of each tribe. Now, it's not to say that they're no longer a tribe of Israel, but here in Revelation, the tribe of Dan is not sealed. They are not protected. The sealing of God protects them from being able to be put to death. Another uh, theory about the tribe of Dan not being listed here is that the Antichrist could potentially come from the tribe of Dan. And you'll see in Jeremiah, Deuteronomy, and Genesis some allusion to that fact or that possibility. That could be why Dan is not listed, a combination of those reasons. Nowhere in the Bible does it explain. Remember, I'll always be honest with you if I don't know something about the Bible. So that's very clear that we don't know. We're making assumptions here. Regardless, God knows the lineage of everyone that is currently on the earth. And he knows whether someone is descended from one of these 12 sons of Jacob. This list is very clearly a real list of actual people from each of these 12 tribes that are listed. And these tribes, again, are Judah, Reuben, Gad, Aser, Naphtalim, Manassas and Joseph, remember Manassas and Ephraim were Joseph's two sons, Simeon, Levi, even though the tribe of Levi is not normally listed because they had no inheritance in the Old Testament, 
but God could have them listed here in Revelation as a replacement for the tribe of Dan. Then you have Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin for a total of 12 here. 12,000 from each of these 12 tribes is 144,000 sealed. And these are witnesses who cannot be killed by the Antichrist. So this is not a reference to people being in heaven. This is merely a reference to people who are protected during the tribulation period. All right. Then we have the last part of this chapter, verse uh, 9 through 17, which is again the martyrs of the seven-year tribulation period who get white robes. So there's a lot of references to these. And the importance here, I think, is very clear. God gives them a special blessing at the end. And it is they were willing to die rather than take the mark of the beast. So the ultimate sacrifice, right? So he did the first six seals. Then he makes a little aside here about the 144,000 witnesses. And then he comes back to the seventh seal of this book that Jesus Christ was opening, right? Chapter eight, verse one and two. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels, which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. That space of half an hour could very well be the same silence that it kind of alludes to in Revelation 7 verse 1. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. I don't know if that's the same thing, but it could very well be that he's saying, hey, everything is still for half an hour in heaven and on earth. Okay. The point is, the seventh seal is actually seven more judgments, the seven trumpets. Then he makes another aside here, uh, verse three through five. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Now, I have no idea what that means, but something from heaven is thrown to the earth that causes some tragedy and some crazy loudness. Then we have verse six. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. We'll cover the trumpets next week. If you have any questions, shoot me an email angrypatriot42 at yahoo.com. And until next week, may God bless you.